Welcome back to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at QB Spotlight. You can find the actual podcast account at Apple Podcasts, soon to be found on various podcast hosting platforms. But for right now, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. That's podcast.apple.com. QB Spotlight. I am Eric Henry, FIU beat writer for SB Nation and all things Underdog Dynasty. Uh, we're joined, as always, by the man. He is a somewhat uh overstressed uh overworked probably running on fumes uh qb guru but you know what uh all in all i think he's hanging in there pretty well we'll uh we'll save the uh the details on that till about next week's episode and then we can uh clue you guys in on just how much work this man is putting in for you despite the changes going on in his life mr stephen hamner steve i hanged in there man man all, all is good um if i sound a little tired i apologize but uh we are rolling i'm, I'm gonna be relying on on my great co-host Eric Henry here to, to, to keep us chugging along and uh, we'll share some exciting news, uh, exciting news soon. But until that news comes, we got some football to talk about specifically quarterbacks. No doubt about it. Uh, I'm fired up off of coffee uh, it, with Steve's uh, future. He's going to need coffee and everything else to keep him running. But uh, like we said, we will get to that come next week. Uh, really fired up about week three's play as far as G5 quarterbacks going to jump right into it. We are going to expand on three quarterbacks, Dylan Gabriel of Central Florida, uh, Aaron Allen and Luke Anthony of Louisiana Tech. Uh, let me say UCF. I know we're going to get the, the the UCF population, and I, and I, I'm my mentions are going to be filled as a UCF alum. It's uh, Dylan Gabriel of UCF, uh, the uh, the Louisiana Tech quarterback situation, Luke Anthony, Aaron Allen, and we will also do a deep dive into Western Kentucky's Tyrell Pigram. Uh, let's go start off with uh, Dylan Gabriel. You know, we'll, we'll kind of touch on him first right here. Steve, what were your thoughts on Dylan Gabriel? I don't want to give too much into what we're going to go into in the deep dive, but just your opening impressions as far as his uh, performance against Georgia Tech is concerned. You know, opening impressions, uh, plain and simply, I think he just picked up where he left off. And, you know, they had a uh, – when Georgia Tech came out and scored pretty quickly, you were kind of thinking, oh, man, it's, this uh, this game might be back and forth. And it was for a little bit. And then, you know, UCF, uh, just a superior team overall, and, and Dylan Gabriel uh, leading that charge. And and like you said, we'll, we'll get into a, a deeper dive on, on him and how he played later. Uh, but he definitely uh, built off on what we – we're looking for him to build off of last week on the podcast when we talked about him going up against Georgia Tech, and, and he definitely uh, impressed and more. Steve, I like what you did there as far as leading the charge. That was a, a homage to the uh, UCF uh, uh, the fan base that we have. So uh, that'll make up for my uh, my Central Florida faux pas to open the show. Next quarterback we're going to get into right here is going to be SMU's uh, Shane Bushell. We've talked about him, you know, for the better part of the really the entirety of this podcast just kind of want to get an idea here's the main question i have for you steve <laughs> i'm looking at your notes and we both kind of hit on it here basically playing against air and unt's defense unfortunately uh the mean greens defense does have a lot of work to improve i mean they are giving up they've given up almost 1300 yards of total offense in two games so with that being said what are your impressions of shane bouchelle in relation to the fact that unt's defense is growing under uh first year coordinator clint bowen I mean, it was – I thought, you know, Texas State uh, played a, a much tougher defense uh, against Shane Bouchelle and SMU than, than North Texas did. I mean, it really was, you know, going against air. But, uh, you know, you still got to make the throws, still got to complete the passes. And he did have – possibly, you know, he's not known for his his scrambling abilities, although he's a decent athlete. But he probably had the best scramble uh, from a quarterback uh, not named Malik Willis uh, this weekend. Um, and so I got a little video of, of Bouchelle coming up uh, – uh, on, on Twitter uh, sometime this week to show that scramble. But, uh, you know, 
not a huge takeaway here, except UNT's defense is in trouble. SMU's offense looked rolling again after struggling a little bit against Texas State. And uh, I know we're not a, a defensive podcast, but UNT plays U of H this week, and that uh, score is probably going to be pretty high again. I would agree there. And really quick, you heard Steve reference the video. You can always find the video clips to go along with this podcast at QB Spotlight on Twitter. Next quarterback we're going to jump into here is Jack Abraham. We've talked about him a ton as well, but this is the thing I, I kind of took away, and I'm curious if this is your takeaway as well. Just look like the same Jack Abraham that we're used to, right? I mean, the consistency is, is sometimes a thing in terms of when they play better competition, but this looked more like the quarterback we expected. Unfortunately for Jay Hobson, didn't get that week one, but uh, first off, Tim Jones, stud player, and uh, Jack Abraham did perform pretty well, so I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's such a frustrating loss for Southern Miss, you know, being up 17 points, you know, towards the end of the third quarter. Um, but, you know, the, the loss is not on Abraham. He, he did have that one uh, bad – or that one interception with about five-ish, four-ish minutes left in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, um, Louisiana Tech did end up scoring on that interception. But besides that, he I thought he played fairly well. And he got the ball to Tim Jones, who had eight catches, a buck 60, and two touchdowns. So – I don't think all is lost for uh, for uh, Southern Miss, uh, but just a, definitely a frustrating loss uh, when, when you're playing a team that, you know, has two new quarterbacks trying to break in. But like we said, not Abraham's not Abraham's fault. So uh, hopefully he can he can, uh, you know, lead the team to some W's this year. Yeah, you mentioned the frustrating loss for Southern Miss. They had him down 17 points. You know, that's one that, especially coming off the way their season opened, you would have liked to have seen them get the win. But that wasn't all on Jack Abraham. They certainly have other issues as far as the defense is concerned, and they were hit really hard by opt-outs entering the year. The uh, next quarterback we're going to jump into right here is going to be Grant Wells of Marshall. Definitely curious your thoughts because I think with Wells – you know, people, there was the early Heisman talk, you know, going against Eastern Kentucky. You could probably say that that was going against air as well. Uh, played a heck of a team in a ranked App State team. And I'm curious what your takeaway is. I know what mine is, but I want to let you go in uh, and take away here first. Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, like we took um, Wells' performance with a grain of salt against Eastern Kentucky, I think we take this performance with a grain of salt as well because this potentially might be the, the best defense he faces all year. Uh, unless they face a power five team that I'm not aware aware about. Uh, so definitely made freshman mistakes. I think like we talked about in the podcast last week, we we're looking for him to, you know, notice the the cover, the disguises that the App State defense was going to give him. And so we were kind of looking for some pre-snap awareness and, and some alerts that, um, you know, we didn't necessarily see and App State did a good job. Uh, I think he completed under 50% of his passes, uh, had an interception that was a, a great pick by App State. But I think uh, it showed that a good running game can help soften the blow when, when a quarterback doesn't play extremely well. So, uh, you know, the, the, the running back, Brennan Knox, uh, played great. He was able to rely on him. And, you know, Wells still made some good throws. I think he still showed enough where you got to be excited about him. And you have to be excited that even though he struggled and they didn't play very well, they still got the win. And, you know, he, he played against this tough defense that is going to help him, uh, you know, as they go into conference play. Steve, we talked a ton over the past year and a half or so about the issues that Marshall's offense had with Isaiah Green. Not going to go back and harp on that. You know, he's no longer the quarterback there, so we won't rehash that. But this is my question for you. Did you see anything from Grant Wells in that game that was different from what you may have seen in the past year and a half 
of quarterback play from Marshall that said to you, okay, this allowed them to win the game. Because if you look over the past year and change, that's a game that they probably lose. And once again, not dependent all on one position, but the quarterback probably turns the football over or makes some type of mistake that doesn't facilitate the win for Marshall. Right. I think in in the past you might have seen, uh, you know, and they're calling kind of two different, um, two different uh, games right now. I, I think they're relying on the run. Uh, even more than they did last year, you know, that they fed Knox the, the ball. Uh, I think they maybe sub- subconsciously are relying on the run more uh, due to, to uh, Wells being a freshman and getting his feet wet. But to, to go back to your question, Eric, and, and try to kind of answer that, I think the fact that Wells made a mistake, he struggled, but he still made plays and he didn't let it uh, necessarily affect the next play, as opposed to in the past, you know, it's kind of like that snowball effect. One negative thing led to another negative thing. That's not necessarily on the quarterback last year, that's kind of like a, a team, uh, you know, mindset itself. But I think, you know, Wells was still confident. He still had great body language is the big thing. So when, when people, you know, see him in the huddle and his teammates see, okay, he struggled, he, he made a mistake, but he's still out there. He's still fighting. And that kind of rubs off on the team. So I don't think there is any doubt in the Marshalls, t- in uh, the Marshalls players' minds that they were going to win this game compared to last year. If a mistake happened, a negative play happened, they might start thinking, oh, no here we go again. You know, I'm interested, interested to see kind of what you think about it just because you've seen this team play so much over the past few years. The biggest takeaway from uh, kind of piggybacking off of your points is they are leaning heavily on that running game. And they're saying, hey, Brendan Knox, and what he is as a back is he might not necessarily be the most electrifying guy, not going to hit the 70 yarder, but you know, if you need five yards, he's going to get you five. If you need four, he's going to get you four. And you look up at the end of the day, and he's going to have 20 to 25 carries or 25 to 30 carries for a buck 35 to a buck 50 and, you know, a couple TDs. And if that's the formula to get you a win for your, if you're Doc Holiday, by all means, write it. When you look at the rest of their schedule, Steve, they might be a dark horse candidate to be that group of five representative. Of course, UCF uh, has an inside track being ranked, you know, 13th in the nation right now. But if you're Doc Holiday, you got to say, hey, look at the rest of this schedule. We've got to ride this thing out and play fundamentally solid football and see where it takes us. The next quarterback we're going to jump into, and we're going to do a, a little bit of a quick hit here because, Steve, I would like to do – I think this week their contest against UTSA will give us a chance to truly evaluate where Middle Tennessee's offense is. They played Troy. Troy is a good football team coming out of the Sun Belt. They played Army. Army, tough matchup in terms of that triple option. So I would like to do a deep dive, not only just on Asher O'Hara, but that entire Middle Tennessee State offense from what you see as a whole. But that'll be for next week's podcast. Uh, quick thoughts, second week in a row, Asher O'Hara and Middle Tennessee State really struggled. Yes, they, they struggled. Not a lot of positive takeaways at all. You know, they, they even played several quarterbacks. And O'Hara's a guy we're extremely high on. I, I'm still high on. I, I still think, you know, it's a long season ahead. You know, it's a rough start. And we both know not about how you start, how you finish. But definitely, definitely disappointing uh, – play for middle Tennessee as a whole. I mean, not just the offense, but you know, the defense giving up a 40 plus to, to a Troy team that shouldn't be that much better than you. Uh, and you, you would expect uh, some more uh, competitive plays throughout, throughout the game. So like you said, I think we'll give them this week and we'll really be able to tell, but you know, um, UTSA is a, they are sure they could be a solid club as well uh, in, in conference USA. So like, like you said, let's see how this week goes and see if they can adjust and, and make some progress. And we'll both be tuned in. Uh, Friday night, and I think we'll have a, a good deep dive uh, on O'Hara and Middle Tennessee offense as a whole next next week. Going to go ahead and travel to the Sun Belt here. Want to go ahead and talk about Zach Thomas? Just your thoughts on him? Yeah, so I think this kind of exposed 
uh, the the App State offense because Marshall played such solid defense that they 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 shut down App State's running game, which uh, they rely on heavily. They rely on the RPOs. They rely on the run game to get going. Like a lot of offenses, they rely on the run game to get going to open up the passing game, and that really opens up the RPOs, and that really allows Zach Thomas to be effective. He's most effective when that running game is going, and then he can use his legs. He can use his arm. He can take a, a, a quick shot here and there, and he needs to. However, Marshall shut down the run game. They averaged, I think, 2.9 yards a carry. Uh, and so they had nothing going and there was no, there, there, <clears throat> excuse me, there were no, uh, no shots downfield. And, and, you know, that's not really Thomas's game to take a bunch of shots downfield. He wants to dink and dunk down the way, but when the run game was taken away and they were forcing him to potentially throw downfield, they, they just couldn't do it. I know they had that one big play of the tight end who ended up uh, fumbling through the end zone, but even that play wasn't a big shot. It was kind of a, a gimmicky play that they uh, threw a quick pass to, um, to the tight end. So anyways, I, I think rough game for, for upstate as a whole and uh, just not Thomas's best game. Uh, so I look for them to try to get the running game going again uh, next week and get him thrown. Let's head to Texas State and Tyler Vitt. And this is one that I think we might have to kind of, you know, potentially do a deep dive later on because listen, Tyler Vitt didn't, he did start some games for, for Texas State last year for the Bobcats, and the team as a, as a whole struggled last year, but he had another really good performance, and I see your note here. You say, will they stay with him or go back to McBride? I'm going to put you on the spot here, Steve. From what you saw of Brady McBride week one and what you've seen of Tyler Vitt over the past few weeks, A, what do you like about both guys and what they're able to do as far as facilitating offense for the Bobcats, and two, I just happened to take a quick look at Tyler Vitt coming out of high school. He was a three-star recruit. He was someone who was kind of a fringe power five recruit. I mean, I, I look here, had some interest from Baylor and Colorado State, wasn't offered by them, but was offered by Texas State and Davidson. So kind of that, you know, fringe uh, P5 guy, but probably a, a, a G5 or FCS level talent, as opposed to Brady McBride, who's someone who, you know, came from Memphis and we know the success they've had with that program. Just kind of want to get your thoughts on the two of them overall. Maybe we'll do a deep dive into them next week. Yeah, I think I would definitely want to uh, see more of McBride since we just seen him play in one game. But that one game was, uh, I think we, it's fair to say, it was fun to watch. Uh, a dynamic playmaker, and he needs to use his legs around, uses his legs a lot. So it brings a lot of fun plays. Uh, but there was kind of some lacking fundamentals, if, if you will, as far as staying in the pocket, trusting your reads, uh, and just, just finding the matchups you like. So. I think they're two different quarterbacks, and, and right now it's probably safe to ride with Tyler Vitt just because he has the hot hand. Uh, however, I think McBride's ceiling is probably probably higher than Tyler Vitt just because of his athleticism and his uh, just natural talent he has. has a good arm, too. And uh, the thing with Vitt is <clears throat> this is his, uh, his second year. Third year, you know, he started freshman year some, sophomore year some. So it's his second year in the system, but third year getting, like, actual playing time. Uh, which I think that experience has helped him a lot. And you, you've seen his progress uh, as a tough kid who uh, has really done a good job finding the matchups that he likes and giving uh, his, his wide receivers a chance to make a play. And if, if, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you haven't had a chance to watch Texas state yet, they've got some stud receivers. So that makes a uh, bitch job or McBride's job, whoever end up ends up, uh, getting the job down the road a lot easier. And another thing with Vitt is he's a deceivingly good athlete at 80 yards rushing, uh, th this past week. So he's not one that is going to be a burner or who's going to outrun, you know, a nickelback like McBride might, uh, but he's going to be able to take advantage of uh, running lanes if, you know, they open up and, and he needs to use his legs. 
Steve, I'm really glad you hit on that note there about the receiver. They got that kid, Jeremiah Haydell. If they can find a way just to get him the ball. And this is what I will say. As far as Haydell, for those of you listening who haven't seen him play, he is a, a little bit bigger than me, a Deshaun Jackson type. I mean, he took two punts back in the in the week two game, the game that they lost in overtime. I'm forgetting the opponent right off the top of my head. Um, it, it was the first game that Tyler Vitz uh, played. It, it, was that? UTSA. Say that one more time, Steve. It was a UTSA they played against. Thank you. Thank you. UTSA. He had a punt return that was called back that was dynamic and then took one back to bring them in the game. And he had his first hundred yard day uh, this past week. He's a guy, if you can just get the ball in his hands, he's a playmaker. You don't have to throw it to him 20 yards downfield. You can just get him on a, on a little slant or a little, you know, hitch or a bubble screen and let him play. So you definitely would like to see whichever quarterback is playing can get him the football because he is a stud. Uh, we're going to go ahead and do our, our deep dive here into a couple quarterbacks, as we mentioned off the top. We're going to talk about Dylan Gabriel, Louisiana Tech's quarterback situation, and Tyrell Pigram at Western Kentucky. Let's, uh, let's not go ahead and bury the lead anymore. We're going to go to Orlando and UCF. Dylan Gabriel, Steve, I'm going to let you take it away. I'll just read your notes here really quickly from the video. And once again, you can find the video on Twitter at QB Spotlight. The, the uh, notes you have here are, not all not all NFL throws are deep bombs. Throwing your guy open. Slot receiver runs and out. Slot key, slot cornerback has good coverage and runs to where the ball usually is thrown. Gabriel throws it to where the DB isn't and allows his receiver to adjust. I believe the receiver on this play is Marlon Williams, who is a stud. He's someone who has backed up uh, there at UCF for a couple of years. He's due for a, a breakout season. But just go ahead and take it away, your deep dive on Dylan Gabriel, and I'll chime in afterwards. Yeah, so so Gabriel is someone we, we touched on last week uh, a little bit going into Georgia Tech, what we were looking for, and uh, we kind of stated we were looking for him to kind of take the the quick, short to intermediate type throws, uh, and we assumed Georgia Tech was going to do everything they could to take the ball a, away from UCF, which, you know, Gabriel throws one of the, the, the best deep balls in all college football. And I think Georgia Tech came in came into the game with that mindset. They played a bunch of soft coverage. And they did, a, I would say, a decent job of taking away the deep ball. Uh, the problem for Georgia Tech is uh, UCF is just better. And so they could do whatever – they can play whatever defense they wanted to play. And eventually UCF was going to get the deep ball going, which they did. Uh, but they did start off throwing some some quick passes, uh, some quick short screens and quick slants. And um, eventually they started just just taking some deep shots, which uh, they hit on several of them. But back to the the, the post we put, we, we put on for Gabriel – so I think it's easy for an average fan or, or especially a fan, <clears throat> a fan base to, to love all these deep balls that Dylan Gabriel throws and, and rightfully so. But um, the more impressive throws to me are the ones that not everyone has the mental capacity to make, if that makes sense. There's a bunch of people that can chunk it deep and, and make it look nice, but being able to see, for example, that route, the out route was clearly covered. Uh, the, the corner did a good. The corner ran to where the ball was supposed to be. Most quarterbacks would look that way and be okay. I can't throw that ball. I got to look else. Uh, but Gabriel saw that there was still an opening. No, no one says you have to throw throw the out route. You know, to, towards the towards the sideline or where you're supposed to throw it. So he saw the opening, threw it behind the DB, let the receiver adjust and and, and make a make a play. So I think that was a huge. That's uh, a it's a small kind of easy play to look past like oh, okay just a quick out uh but it's kind of a, a a huge play and it shows that th there's a lot of nfl potential with gabriel i know he's still at least a year away uh from being eligible um 
but being able to throw your receivers open and and multiple multiple routes, not just the deep ball, is a is a big uh, is a is a big deal. And I think it, man, it's going to be hard for anyone to stop UCF. I think this this, this year, especially on the AAC, I know they still have Memphis and, and SMU. Uh, but man, if, if they continue what they did against Georgia tech, it's, it's going to be pretty tough, but Gabriel impressed as, as always and efficient. And I did like that. He did take a lot of short and quick throws, but as always the, the moneymaker, the, the deep ball was, was still there, even with the soft cover Georgia tech played. Steve, one of the biggest knocks on UCF, and I don't think this is a legitimate knock, but when people try to downplay their success, they essentially act as if they're beating up on teams that aren't as good as the talent they have, and that if they took a step up, they would get massacred, right? Not Neither of us believe that to be true, but you mentioned something about Dylan Gabriel in terms of the throw, and I want to ask you this. The note that you made there about him having the mental capacity to make that throw, where is that in relation to the rest of FBS quarterbacks that you see, right? So maybe if you want to take, let's split it in two, G5 quarterbacks and P5 quarterbacks. His yep. ability, what do you see there in terms of relation to actual talent? Yeah, so so talent. I mean, he, he's obviously a, a power five talent. Probably most you know UCF players are. Um, if we had to like break it down some tiers, you have the Trevor Lawrence's or Justin Fields who can make any throw, ha- have a great understanding of the game, and can make any read. Those are like your elite. Those are your first round draft picks. And then you have guys like a uh, like a Sam Ellinger and a Brock Brock Purdy from Iowa State who who are uh, both pre- Kyle Trask from Florida who are probably all NFL guys, but probably not first round guys, maybe Purdy, but you know, they're in that third, fourth round pick uh, type, you know, window, uh, at least right now where they have the ability to make any throw. Uh, They have all the talent they need, but they also have the mental capacity as well. And then you have people who, um, you know, may have the talent, but not the mental capacity or may have the mental, you know, capacity to, to play well and not the talent, which is probably a lot of G5 quarterbacks, honestly. Uh, that have a bunch of, you know, mental awareness and can read read really well, but just, you know, the talent just isn't there. But with Dylan Gabriel, when you combine the power five talent and that mental uh, capacity to, to grow, which, you know, it's only been one game, so we, we don't want to, you know, put our foot, oh, we don't want to put our foot in the accelerator too yet, but based off last year and how he's already seemed to progress this game, uh, I think it's safe to say he, he, he fits that. I would put him in like that um, Sam Ellinger-ish talent, pool if you will uh it's probably a decent quarterback to compare him to even though they're different style of quarterbacks where they're smart uh they put their teams in positions to win and they utilize the talent around them so uh i I think that he's able to combine his talent and his 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 knowledge of the game uh that makes him you know coming up to potentially elite status before he he leaves ucf last thing here on dylan gabriel real quick before we transition steve one of the things that I noticed about him, and I will say the biggest question that I had in transitioning from Mackenzie Milton to Dylan Gabriel, Mackenzie Milton threw the deep ball exceptionally well. And I'm not necessarily talking about arm strength as much as I'm talking about accuracy. Mackenzie Milton completed passes over 25, over 30 yards at a much higher clip than most average, uh, than the average FBS quarterback. I believe he completed that at, at a clip something to uh, uh, something to some extent of like, 42 43 percent which is way higher steve you as a former quarterback you can attest to this if you complete one out of three deep balls a game or one out of three deep balls a quarter whatever it's called that's a good percentage which is 33 percent most quarterbacks tend to range around that 25 to 30 percent range with dylan gabriel 
I was surprised at just how well and how accurate he is downfield. Is, is that something that jumps off the uh, the page to you or jumps off the, t- the screen to you? A hundred percent. And and he does have a strong arm and uh, maybe stronger than, than, uh, than McKenzie, but it's not like a elite arm strength necessarily. Again, it is strong. It's not necessarily elite like a Trevor Lawrence. However, the, the accuracy down the field, even when he's covered, is impressive. That's what makes the deep ball so impressive. So when, when we speak, you know, he throws a good deep ball. We're not necessarily just saying, oh, he's got a strong arm. Uh, but he puts it where only his receiver can catch it. And like like we said, Georgia Tech was playing such soft coverage. So if you can complete a deep ball against soft coverage where the defense knows you're trying to go deep, you know, that, that makes it even more impressive. So uh, super impressive to watch Gabriel this weekend, man. I'm, I'm you know, I didn't go to UCF, I'm not a UCF fan, but I'm a big, you know, qu- quarterback guy. And so I'm excited to watch him develop the rest, the rest uh, of the year. And the one thing I'll keep tabs on for Gabriel is if, you know, and UCF in general, if they can bring the same energy and if they can continue this domination against all the American, uh, the American teams, because it's one thing to Georgia Tech where, you know, they want to go dominate the Power Five and, and show everyone that they belong, which they do. But then you don't want them to have a letdown against a lesser, uh, you know, a, a lesser quality team uh, from conference. One of these days, Steve, I'm getting you out to Orlando. You know, night fans are good people, despite the fact that of the reputation they may have on Twitter. Night fans are good people. So I'm getting you out to Orlando when one of these days when uh, my schedule lines up and I'm not at a stadium covering a game and you're uh, you're out there so you can watch a little uh, big time football, Mr. Uh, Mr. Texas, you know. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the the next quarterback will transition to our next quarterback situation. It's going to be Louisiana Tech. Steve, I want to let you take it away as far as Luke Anthony and Aaron Allen. I'm going to read your notes really quickly here on Luke Anthony. You talk about him being a former Abilene Christian quarterback with some big-time throws in his first FBS game. He did start for two years at the FCS level at Abilene Christian. You talk about having a high-arching deep ball, another superb catch from They have a, 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 a not even a trio. Uh, they have a, a foursome of, of great receivers there at La Tech and the three TD passes to to bring them from behind to get the victory. What did you see on Luke Anthony? And then we're going to talk about Aaron Allen after that. So I think, I think with, with, with both guys just real quick, before I get into Anthony, I think it helps, like you said, having those uh, solid receivers they can rely on and throw to um, with Anthony, who, who I believe is actually starting this week. Uh, and, and he didn't start this past week. I think it was more impressive that he was able, and they, they are both, you know, before I get into it, they're both uh, slated to play. So it wasn't like Allen got benched necessarily, but, um, but still, Anthony came in and and you know went back and forth with Allen the first se- the first half and the second half is when he really came to life and uh, had three TDs all uh, they all came with you know 18 minutes left in the game uh, and they were down 27 to 10 so that right there is going to to you know buy the confidence of your teammates and your fans and the coaching staff uh, and, and just that speaks a lot to his mental makeup. I know we talked about Gabriel and the, the mental makeup, but speaks a lot to Luke Anthony and the mental makeup. And even though here, here's what I'm kind of coming around to, even though the quality he played, the quality of teams he played the past few years wasn't FBS level, it was still experienced nonetheless. You know, a cover two is a cover two, regardless who's running it. It just might be ran a little bit better by better talent, right? Uh, but still, with that said, I'm coming around to the fact that he's gotten that experience, even at the FCS level. I think that's probably transitioned and, and helped him where he looked pretty smooth, especially, you know, in a game they're losing by 17. Steve, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And before, I don't want to take up too much time when you transition to Allen, but I think there's this misnomer that, Yes, you know, and you can say the same thing with G5 and P5, right? You know, a G5 player can make the jump to a P5 
school and have success. If he doesn't, it's not necessarily because the level of talent at the G5 level wasn't as good as much as his athletic ability may not have matched up. And you talk about a cover two being a cover two, regardless of, of the level. If you've seen it a million times, at least you conceptually understand what a cover two is. And that two years of playing experience is something that I think is interesting when you compare him and Aaron Allen. Is that fair to say? A hundred percent. I think that was you know probably evident too during the game. So go ahead. Your uh, your thoughts on Aaron Allen? Um, his numbers may not look as as gaudy as Luke Anthony's, but like you said, it was not it was not excuse me a situation where he was benched. They were rotating quarterbacks even till the uh, game's penultimate drive. Aaron Allen did take before Skip Holson and Luke Anthony on the final one. Right. Yeah. So like like we said, he didn't get benched. Uh, you know, Louisiana Tech just rolled the hot hand. Um, and, and that was Luke Anthony, but I thought he played well, especially coming out. They had a good game plan. Uh, he's probably, he wasn't throwing the deep ball as much as Luke Anthony. That was kind of a, a, a takeaway, but he was efficient. I believe he was 11 of 14. He, he did have one interception. Um, but I, I, I think he showed that, I think he showed that, uh, that, that he's a quarterback that Louisiana Tech, you know, he, it's not he's not getting benched as as um as what I'm trying to say. Even though with Luke Anthony's starting, I think he's still in the mindset that you know he's going to get opportunities uh, this coming up week to to potentially uh, take that spot back over. Um, but I, I do anticipate them going with one of the two in the next week or two. Um, but like, like like you said, he he wasn't benched. It wasn't like he played bad. Anthony just had the hot hand and and they rode with him. Steve, let's go to Western Kentucky. What do you see out of Tyrell Pigram? I had a chance because that was the noon game. So I had a chance to watch that game in its entirety. And I will say this. I, I, I'm only using this name for comparison for our listeners who may not have seen the game. He has electric athletic ability. When you see him kind of move and escape the pocket, <laughs> I hate to do this, Steve, but it's Michael Vick-esque. And, and, and Michael Vick is, was an incredible athlete. I mean, it's almost not fair to to use that name but in relation to the talent he's playing against on the field he is so much quicker and faster however when you look at the numbers this is a classic case of the box score not reflecting what you actually saw on the field 18 of 25 three touchdowns no interceptions he had a couple of throws that he missed where where the, the guy was wide open he should have hit and then even some of those completions he you know the receiver had to make an adjustment and catch it from behind him or reach out in front of him and i remember the one throw where he had i believe was a tight end streaking down the field open he didn't set his feet and make the throw and he overshot him steve what are your thoughts on tyrell pigram i'm very curious to see what you see of him because when you watch the game you see everything is there you can see why he's the starter but for a western kentucky team that has has all the pieces around them they may not be able to ride with that inconsistency much longer yeah, I think with, with Pigram, the last sentence uh, kind of uh, is, is really is really uh, wraps everything up is, is the consistency. You'll have one drive where you're like, wow, this what can't he do? Then you have another drive where it's just misthrow, doesn't set his feet, uh, you know, misread, whatever it may be. But I, with that said, I did think he showed improvement this game. You just want to see him put a full game together as opposed to drive here, drive there. Uh, I, I think his best – his best chunk of play this game was when they were down 17 to three. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, like Pigron is really struggling. Even the completions he has, are, you know, his are behind a receiver too far in front where the receiver or tight end is, is kind of stumbling to catch it. And I'm thinking, well, are they going to, you know, are they going to bench him turn to someone else? Like, uh, cause they're, they're getting, you know, run out of the building here. But right when I kind of uh, was thinking that like all of a sudden something clicked and he was way more accurate and I think that correlates to 
because he's got a rocket arm. Like you said, the the, the talent jumps yeah, off. He really does have an arm. Yeah, yeah, he's got a rocket arm, and he's he, he's a dynamic athlete. There's a reason why he was you know, he started up Maryland. Some, however, I think once he realized, you know, maybe I don't know what the mindset was because if it was a, a technique thing or or just a mental thing, but he took some mustard off the ball. Uh, he started putting way more touch on the ball, and he was way more accurate. He threw some very impressive throws and led them back to tie 17-17. They were in the game all the way to the end. Um, but I think moving forward, you want to see the consistency. I also will say this. I think I think Liberty is probably a much better team than they were anticipating. And, and if Liberty was in Conference USA, you know, they might be one of the, the, the upper-level teams. I, know, I don't know if that's a popular take or not, but, man, Malik Willis – was a stud. I know we're having, we're not talking about him right now. Um, but I want, you know, I want to, I want to put some perspective in it as well. It wasn't like they lost to, you know, a rice of, of two years, a two years ago rice team, you know, that I think Liberty's a pretty good team and I think there's some stuff to build on for Pogrom. So uh, I'm looking forward to a big step their next game. Steve, really quickly, as someone who covers Conference USA, that is not a hot take you gave as far as Liberty being well, – that Liberty would be one of the better teams in Conference USA right now. Uh, not that Conference USA is bad by any stretch of the imagination, but there is so much turmoil when you look at – you know, we thought Middle Tennessee would be better. Uh, quarterbacks going down, injured, replacing quarterbacks. Liberty would absolutely be better. So that's not a, not a hot take there. Uh, let's go ahead and transition really, really quickly into week four. Just want to get your thoughts here. UAB. Starting the uh, the kid Lucero, uh, going to play against South Alabama, and we know we've talked about Desmond Trotter here on this podcast. Uh, what are you looking for, not necessarily from South Alabama, but from UAB's quarterback Lucero? So I think it's a it's a probably a good team to get broken into and start. Um, although South Alabama has shown to to be much more improved, and I'll kind of keep it brief. Uh, I want to see him uh, stretch the field. Uh, he's got a good arm. I want to see the deep ball a little bit, but take care of the ball. Feed your stud running back and kind of how Marshall has relied on Knox. Let's rely on your stud running back, Spencer Brown, and let him do the work, and that's going to open up the passing game. Next game we're going to transition here into is uh, Middle Tennessee and UTSA. Like I said, we'll probably do a deep dive into this one tomorrow, but it's really quickly. Quick thoughts, maybe a sentence or two, and what you're looking for from both quarterbacks. So with O'Hara, let's bounce back. Uh, let's not try to do too much. I think he's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself, but, hey, you know, it's a team game. Let's, let's not try to do too much. Trust your talent. And uh, Frank Harris in the running game for UTSA, uh, I'm looking – I'm expecting them to continue to run all over Middle Tennessee defense that hasn't stopped any run game yet. FIU heads to Lynchburg and Liberty University. I will be in the house at Williams Stadium there. We're going to kind of put a hold on the FIU quarterback situation for a second because, quite frankly, we don't know exactly what we're going to see. Still some, uh, uh, still anticipating that will be Max Bortenschlager and then another quarterback as well. But let's wait until we have some actual film before we do a deep dive into that. Malik Willis, what do you want to see from him? Man, so, you know, obviously you cover FIU, so you know this way more than me, but uh... – FIU, you know, has struggled in the run historically. Uh, you know, they, they've, you know, Malik Willis is a stud. He's similar to Pagrom, except probably a better athlete and probably even a stronger arm. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if FIU's defense can maintain him. But I'm expecting him to have another good day against a Conference USA Conference USA team. And with FIU, I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing whoever's at quarterback. Since 2018, the Panthers have given up over 150 yards rushing 16 times. That is to Steve's point about struggling against the run. Let's go ahead to Charlotte taking on Georgia State. Dom Schaffner, it's believed that he will be the starter. What are you looking for from Mr. Dom Schaffner in his FBS debut? 
So I'm not sure how long Reynolds is going to be out. Maybe maybe you know, but uh, Schaffner, like we've talked about him last week on the pod before, you know, right when we talked about them, their, their game got canceled. Uh, but they're playing a Georgia State team that almost beat Louisiana and probably should have beaten them. You know, they lost overtime. So uh, you're, you're, you're looking for, you know, Schaffner to do what they need to do to get the first W uh, of the season against a, a good Georgia State team. Uh, and I want, I'm interested because I don't know a ton about him. We've just seen some some film from from his JUCO, but I'm I'm interested just to sit back and you know see how he runs at RPO offense and compared to Chris Reynolds. Let's go and finish up with our last two games here in the Sunshine State. Going to start with FAU and South Florida really quickly. There was a little bit of, you know, it's Wednesday when we're taping this, and unfortunately with the way the college football season is working out, we probably should tape this on like Saturday morning and drop it then to see who's playing. Uh, USF did play Notre Dame. Notre Dame did have some issues as far as positive uh, COVID tests. With that being said, that has now turned South Florida to postpone practice as far as today is concerned. They would they are their ability to play on Saturday will hinge on the results of this today at Wednesday today's afternoon's tests as far as COVID. But if that game is played, Steve, uh, two games, two two quarterbacks, two, uh, two teams with quarterbacks, uh, interesting situation. First start for Nick Tronti, and then what does South Florida do a quarterback? What are you tagging and looking for if that game is played Saturday in Boca Raton? Right, yeah. Um, so Tronti, obviously, you know, every every FAU fan knows about Tronti and him being a, a good high school quarterback and then transferring back from from the Big Ten. Um, someone we, we mentioned briefly last week. So you just want to see him – not try to do too much, use his legs, get comfortable, let his legs open up the running game against a, a very good South Florida defense. And I shouldn't say very good because they gave up 50 cent points in their game, but uh, a defense, a defense that was playing CUSA more level talent than Notre Dame talent. Uh, UCF has some good ball players on defense. So look for Tronti to uh, just take the defense gives them. Then USF at quarterback, man, I got no idea what they're going to do. They played three guys last week. The guy I thought would be playing more, the transfer from North Carolina, hasn't seen the field yet. So uh, I'm clueless unless you have more insight on the USF quarterback uh, situation. I got nothing. Well, Jeff Scott did come out and say that he is expecting more from the quarterbacks and, and and you probably will see more of Cade Fortin should that game be played. Let's go and finish up with the team we talked about the most, the UCF Knights. They will play East Carolina. You talked a lot about Dylan Gabriel, so we're not going to harp too much on, on, on Mr. Gabriel and his performance. He should have a good game against the ECU defense that's still recovering. We'll talk about Holton Ehlers. Let's finish with him. Thoughts on Holton Ehlers, probably a, a dark horse candidate for a player of the year there in the American. Yeah, Ehlers a, a- you know, a quarterback that's probably forgotten about in American, but he's one of the the stud quarterbacks you got to put up with. You know, Gabriel, Brady White, Shane Bouchelle. Uh, so the the lefty, the lefty slinging quarterback. Uh, gun, he's a talk about a gunslinger and a pretty decent athlete too. So for them to have any chance in this game, they need a big game from Aylers. And um, you know, I don't know if, if they. I don't think they have a chance, but I still uh, am, am looking for Aylers to, to at least put up a, a little fight and to to uh you know put some points on the board and then you know after we have a few weeks of of film from him uh, he'll be someone we definitely want to kind of check out and maybe do a deep dive on to piggyback off steve's point earlier the knights will be charging into east carolina look on steve's face right now we're getting you to orlando man uh, we're gonna go ahead and close up this podcast as always you can find the podcast on twitter at 
QB Spotlight. You can find the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, soon to be on various podcast platforms. You can find Steve on Twitter at Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, Hamner, H-A-M-N-E-R. And you can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Thank you for listening, and we're fired up to bring you another week of college football, QB Spotlight. We'll see you next week.